Camping is something many of us enjoy doing. Some of us never have much more than an encounter with a black bear or maybe a mountain lion, but some others seem to experience some life-threatening things while out there camping with their family and friends. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today we're going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true camping horror stories that'll creep you out tonight. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. Recently, I started streaming over on Twitch a couple of times a week. We do horror movie nights, where we watch some pretty terrible horror movies. We also play some scary games and do a bunch of other stuff over there. So if you're looking for some extra Swamp Dweller content, come on and join us over on Twitch. You can find the link in the description. It's been an entire year since Chilling has come out. And, to celebrate April, we're going to be doing some extra crazy stuff. Now, Chilling is the new place for horror. If you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Start your free trial today and download the app. You can find the link in the description to do so. There are so many cool things on this app. Your favorite narrators like Mr. Creeps, Let's Read, Swamp Dweller, Being Scared, Your Maker, and more are being added all the time. There's classic horror novels, vintage horror radio, true crime, true scary stories, and everything else you could want. Plus, new things are being added all the time. And we can't forget Chilling's one-of-a-kind ambient sound menu that sets it apart from every other platform. It lets you change the music, the sounds, anything you want in the background without the narration pausing or skipping. It's a game changer. There are hundreds of hours of stories and... Trust me, you're not going to want to miss out on all the hundreds of hours that are being added every single week. And it's completely and totally ad-free. That's right, start your free trial and after that it's only $2.99 a month. Right now, to celebrate Chilling's one year anniversary, we are currently giving away a Samsung 70-inch Class 7 Series LED 4K Smart TV and a Samsung Channel Soundbar with a limited edition Year One Chilling t-shirt. You can find more details about runners-up and other things like that with the link in the description. Chilling, the new home of horror. After watching so many YouTubers who live in their cars and travel around the country, I always wanted to try the car camping thing. I lived in Fort Lauderdale for five years and thought I would be stuck there, and that was it. Then the pandemic hit, and I checked my bank account. I was back paid thousands of dollars, and before I knew it, I was packing up all of my stuff and the landlord said I could leave all of my furniture, which was fine. Now I'm on 95, heading north, laughing and going, and I couldn't believe it. My managers got the hang of the whole car thing and became more comfortable stealth parking in different places without being detected. I had not done any off-the-grid stuff, but was more comfortable by reaching Lake Tahoe. I was hiking and asked some guy and his dog, who was a local, if he knew where I could sleep in my car because Tahoe seemed a bit tricky. He said there was a place in the mountain called Hope Valley. It sounded good, so off I went. Lake Tahoe is already high in altitude. So this was a few thousand feet higher than that. 
It was this past July. As I reached the area, I saw a small parking lot that was an entrance to a wildlife nature preserve. It was closed and empty, so that would do. I'm all settled in with my blanket, the sun is setting, and the temperature plummets. It's pitch black. Before I knew it, visibility is at absolute zero. I start to hear wolves howling in the distance, and at this point, I'm game. This was the experience I wanted, camping in my car in the absolute wilderness. It was a little bit creepy. Ultimately though, I was okay. I was living what I saw on YouTube in my apartment. I was living the dream, right? Before the sun went down, I noticed garbage cans that were overfilled 15 feet from the car at the entrance to the preserve. I finally drifted off to sleep and was awakened by something at 3am. I couldn't see anything, anywhere. It was so dark. And then I heard footsteps, heavy ones, right outside my door. At this point I'm dropping bricks in my pants, being a New York City boy. Then something brushes up against the car. I'm scared and don't know what to do. I wait for a couple of minutes. Then I open the door. I ran around the car as fast as possible and got to the driver's side. I drove down the mountain and slept in a Motel 7 parking lot like a baby. I never made it through my first and only off-grid camping adventure and won't forget it. The only other time that trip that something creepy happened was on Mount Shasta. I drove halfway up the mountain, parked on the side of the road, and started walking on this trail. I made it about 70 yards in and heard a low growl. I had never run so hard back to my car in my life. The rest of the trip was the best hiking I've ever done in Montana. The forests know many secrets. This is why I don't go camping anymore. I know that probably sounds, well, a bit off kilter. But if you allow me to explain myself, I think you'll understand what I mean. I went on my very last camping trip way back in the early 2000s. It was supposed to be with a group of friends, but everyone else had to drop out at the last minute, leaving me the choice of either scrapping the trip entirely or going solo. Personally, I'd never liked camping alone very much. There's too many things that can go wrong when you're out in the woods by yourself. A simple accident like twisting your ankle can really complicate things. Upgrade that twisted ankle to a broken leg, throw in some bad weather, and suddenly you're in a life or death situation. A lot of experienced campers have gone into the woods by themselves and never came back. It happens all the time. Even so, my gear was packed and I was already in camping mode. So I said, F it, and decided to go by myself. I'd just hang out with my comfortable radio by my side, have a few drinks beside the fire, and call it an early night. I thought it might actually be nice to disconnect and spend some time alone with my thoughts. The woods seemed like a magical wonderland in those scant few weeks between the turning of leaves and the first snowfall. The days are warm, and a sleepy hush falls over the forest by late afternoon. The treetops rustle and sway in the sunset breeze as you make your evening fire, and as the temperature drops in the thickening gloom, you hunker down by your fire and bask in its warmth. From this point until you crawl into your little tent beneath a vast panorama of stars, you make a point of not doing anything in particular. 
You just sit there with a hot dog roasting away on a stick, and you simply exist. And as you sit there and watch the firelight stir up fluttering shadows amongst the trees, something in the back of your brain whispers, this is how it's supposed to be, just you and an open fire beneath the stars. I loaded up my gear and left before dawn on Saturday morning. I usually entered the park through the west gate, but on this fateful day, it happened to be closed off for repairs. So I did an awkward three-point turn and trundled around the gate on the north side instead. I usually avoided that side of the park because the entrance lane and parking lot were both in pretty rough shape. But leaving your ride on the side of the road was a great way to lose your wheels, catalytic converter, and maybe even your entire vehicle. I navigated around the gaping potholes in the pre-dawn gloom and was strapping on my backpack just as the early morning sunlight began to filter through the trees. There were hardly any other vehicles in the parking lot, just a scattering of jacked up pickup trucks and one lone cargo van. The van was old, it was like a relic from the 90s, it had a dented front bumper and large patches of rust surrounding the wheel wells. As I walked past, I saw a vinyl sticker of a strange-looking cross on the rear door. The other door had some sort of airbrushed, stylized tree of life, with the branches tangling together above the surface and the roots intertwining below. I could only assume it belonged to one of those pseudo-mystical hippie types who like to engage in drum circles out in the wilderness. Which is fine, of course, as long as they're not within earshot of your own campsite. I muttered, keep your bongos to yourself, and started off down the trail. I hiked for about half an hour until I found the perfect spot, a cozy clearing on the embankment of a small stream. I set my tent up and made myself some coffee over a fire. The woods were alive with the chirping of birds and clattering of squirrels, and the sunlight danced on the rippling waters of the stream in flashes and glimmers. I sipped my coffee and thought to myself, this is real life. Everything else is a lie. I spent the morning ambling around the trails on the north side of the park and headed back to the camp shortly before noon. I had just settled down to heat up a pot of beans when I suddenly became aware that I was being watched. I couldn't see anyone standing in the trees, but I could feel their eyes on me. I called out, Hello? And a few seconds later, a figure stepped into the clearing. It was a man with a long beard and a thick mass of tangled dreadlocks. As he stepped into the clearing, his body odor hit me like a ton of bricks. He was wearing a pair of old work boots and ragged, filthy blue jeans that were more patches than actual denim. My unexpected visitor was bare-chested in the warmth of the noon-hour sun, his skin burnished to a deep bronze beneath a layer of grime. He was muscular in a lean, wiry sort of way, and he was absolutely covered with dozens of stick-and-poke tattoos. They blanketed his torso, arms, hands, and neck in a crude layer of faded India ink. A lot of them looked like jail tattoos. I immediately remembered the cargo van and thought, you're a lot more sinister looking than I'd imagined. The man stood at the opposite side of my fire with his thumbs hooked in his belt loops and said, how you doing today? Brother, it's a fine day, isn't it? The gods sure did bless us today. I smiled and nodded in agreement, but I already knew something was very wrong with this guy. His eyes were strange. 
They were too bright, too wide, and he was staring at me with an unnerving intensity. I slowly reached down beside my chair to see if my knife was still laying on the ground beside me, and I said, Well, I'm not religious, but I can't disagree with you on the weather. It's a beautiful day out here. As soon as the words came out of my mouth, I knew I had made a mistake. The guy stopped smiling and cocked his head to the side, as if he were listening to a voice only he could hear. He nodded, in agreement with whatever it was saying, and exclaimed, You're not religious, you say? How could you deny something that's right in front of your face? The gods are right here, brother. The leaves, the dirt, the sky, the clouds, it's all divine. Can't you dig it? Everything is divine. Carefully, I said. I guess I didn't think of it that way, mister. Um, I didn't catch your name. He looked at me with an exaggerated air of confusion and echoed. Catch your name? It ain't yours to catch, is it? We stared at each other for a long, tense moment, and then he started to smile again. He was missing a front tooth, but the rest of his teeth were surprisingly white in the mellow sunshine. He shook his head and asked me, Now, are we talking about my true name? You can't know my true name. It's sacred. Only the trees can know these secrets. I wasn't sure how to respond to this, so I nodded like he was actually making any sense at all, and I asked, Um, is there something I can help you with, or... I trailed off and waited for an answer, but he just stood there and looked at me. It was creepy as hell. Finally, he just said, My people... My people call me John. Like, John the Baptist. And he snapped his fingers. Almost like magic, six more people quietly slipped out from behind the trees. They were an even mix of men and women. All of them dressed in ragged clothes and reeking like old campfire smoke and body odor. John's people drifted into the clearing like ghosts and stood behind him in a single file line. They were all heavily tattooed in the same manner as John, covered in crudely drawn symbols that had faded from the years of exposure to the sun. Their long matted hair was either tied back or piled on top of their heads in some sort of elaborate knot. The look in their eyes was extremely unsettling. It was like looking into the eyes of a wild animal with the scent of easy prey in its nostrils. These people were wild. They were radiating an aura of pent-up violence. Quietly, the dreadlocked madman said, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. They would have thought he was plumb crazy in this day and age, and they'd be right. John the Baptist looked upon the faces of the gods and lived. That's enough to drive anyone crazy, I reckon. One of his followers crooned, Preach it, Brother John, preach it! And the rest of them murmured, Amen, brother. John nodded along with them and asked me, Do you know why there are seven of us? Because seven is the number of completeness and perfection, he murmured. Seven faithful souls under the eyes of the holy. That's us. John hunkered down beside my fire and glared up at me with that wide-eyed, unnerving intensity. He said, When a man's belly is empty, he can eat and be at peace. But what if his soul is empty? How do you give comfort to an empty soul? You don't know the answer to that, do you? Tell him, Joshua. A gaunt fellow with a star tattooed on his forehead cleared his throat and recited in a dull monotone, Offer praise to the gods and they'll fill your soul with knowledge. They'll come down in a beam of sunlight and show you the way. That's enough, little brother, John murmured. I'll do the preaching here. 
I saw a flicker of simmering resentment cross the gaunt man's narrow features. There, and gone in a split second. John didn't seem to notice. He made a broad, sweeping motion with his arm at the trees and the sky and sighed. Knowledge of the divine, my man. Knowledge of the world and knowledge of yourself. Do you know yourself, brother, or are you an empty vessel? I instinctively knew that it would be a grave mistake to show any sort of fear. I stood up and firmly announced, I think it's time you folks went on your way. I'm not really looking for any sort of company. John narrowed his eyes and rose to his feet. There was a shift in his posture that reminded me of a jungle cat tensing to strike. He said, Well, now, that's not how any of this works. See, we go wherever the gods will us to go. They brought us here for a reason. There's always a reason. There ain't nothing random about happening anywhere in any entire universe. So this little meeting of ours was arranged before the stars ignited in the sky, brother. I snapped. I honestly don't give a shit, brother. I'm not looking for company. John leaned in a bit closer and whispered, What you hiding there, man? What's in your hand? Is that a knife? My heart was racing, but it was way too late to back down. I held his gaze and repeated, I'm not looking for company. John stepped back and reached around and pulled the revolver from the back of his waistband. He put his thumb on the hammer, and my breath caught in my throat. He said, that's too bad, because you ain't got a choice. There is no free will. There's only the will of the gods. I forced myself to keep looking him in the eye. For a long, tense moment, the world shrank until it was only me, the madman with a firearm, and the gun itself. The tension was abruptly shattered by the sound of children laughing. A young couple and their kids came pushing through the underbrush on their way to the stream completely oblivious to the standoff that was occurring just a few yards away. John's eyes shifted from me to the family, and he tucked the gun back into his waistband. He smiled and quietly said, The forest is ancient, and the trees know all of our secrets, brother. You, me, and everybody else, they know our secrets. Remember that. My wild-eyed visitors melted back into the woods as quickly as they had appeared. I stared into the trees for a while, the laughter of the children drifting through the air behind me as I tried to wrap my head around what had just happened. I felt jittery from an overload of fear and adrenaline. The encounter seemed dreamlike and unreal, as if I had fallen asleep in my folding chair and slipped into a particularly vivid nightmare. I abruptly decided it was time to head home. To hell with it, I could roast hot dogs over a smoky fire some other time. The camping expedition was officially over. I tore down my tent and packed my stuff in record time. I had every intention to warn the young couple to be on the lookout for seven weirdos with some various centric opinions on religion, but they were already gone by the time I was ready to leave. I wished them luck and double-timed it back to the parking lot. All of the vehicles were gone except for mine, including the van that I could only presume had belonged to the weirdos with the dreadlocks and tattoos. The Manson family reboot had apparently piled into their murder mobile and left to see greener pastures somewhere else. That was fine and dandy, but I was still leaving. I just had a gun pulled on me by a crazy man and my enthusiasm for sleeping in a tent was at an all-time low. I walked up to my car and started to fish for my keys and snarled. Oh, shit. All four tires were flat as a pancake. Someone had sliced open the valve stem to every tire. 
I had only two options at this point and both of them sucked pretty bad. I needed to call a tow truck, but this was back in the days before everyone had a cell phone. It was a weekend in the off-season, which meant there weren't any park employees around and everything was locked up. I could either hike through the park and hope to run into a hiker that could help me out, or I could start walking down the road and try to flag someone down. As far as I knew, I might be the only living soul in the entire park, so it seemed more likely I could find more help walking along the road. Worst case scenario, I would walk almost 20 miles until I got to the closest payphone, which was located at a gas station that may or may not still be open when I got there. I had a pretty good idea who had flattened my tires. I could only assume they watched me park my car and gather up my gear. It occurred to me that John and the gang probably have followed me around while I was hiking the trails, which was deeply unsettling to think about. Why would they do that? What did they want? I decided to try my luck on the road and lock most of my gear in the trunk. I put a jacket on, got some refreshments in my backpack, and started walking. I didn't see a single car for 20 minutes, and then I was ignored by multiple passing cars. I was starting to suspect I was destined for a very long walk to that gas station. I trudged down the road for another 10 minutes or so before another vehicle came along. I waved my arms frantically as it approached. As it got closer, I realized that it looked awfully familiar. It was the van from the parking lot. The van picked up speed and drifted onto the gravel shoulder, spraying a shower of stones as I jumped into the ditch. The van missed me by inches and the driver locked up the brakes coming to a fishtailing halt as I crashed through the ravine into the tree line and ran into the woods. I had already passed the southernmost edge of the park, so I was running through some random farmer's woodlot forcing myself through patches of brambles and tangled undergrowth that you'll find in a second-growth forest. I could hear them hooting and hollering from somewhere behind me, laughing and carrying on like they were kids on an Easter egg hunt. They were apparently much better at running through the woods than I was, because it sounded like they were very quickly closing in on the gap between us. I slid down an embankment, hopped over a small stream, and hid behind a clump of horsetail on the other side. Ten seconds later, the guy with the star tattoo and a feral-looking woman with a streak of white hair came jumping down the embankment. They were quickly joined with the rest of the crew. John motioned at the slope of the embankment, pointing out my footprints in the wet soil. He called out, Why are you hiding? No hide from us, brother. We want to help you. They spread out and started searching for me. I held my breath and listened for their footsteps. One of them came very, very close, but he didn't see me curled up in a tight ball in the horse tail. After a few minutes of stalking around in the mud, John called them over. I heard him say, The God spoke to me in a dream, brothers and sisters. This is the test of faith. Do you have faith? They all said yes in unison, and John answered, Then we'll find him, won't we? Because those who have faith will always be triumphant in the end. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Can I get an amen? I heard a ragged chorus of amen followed by something quiet, some sort of muttering, and then they moved on. It was chilling just to see how quietly they could move through the undergrowth. They were like a pack of wolves silently melting into the trees without so much as breaking a dead branch or crackling the dead leaves underfoot. I counted to a hundred and slithered out of my hiding spot. I was muddy, cold, and utterly terrified. 
there was no longer any doubt they had been stalking me since I got to the park and maybe even before then, but I still didn't know why. What did they want from me? I whispered to myself, the trees know our secrets. And even though it was nonsense, it still scared the hell out of me. I made my way back to the road and popped out not far from where the van was parked on the side of the road. I cautiously crept along the bottom of the ditch and listened for voices, but there was no sign of life in the van. When I was satisfied no one was there, I snuck up close enough to get a good look at the license plate. I'd need every bit of information I could gather for the police report. As I turned to leave, something caught my eye. There was a red smear on one of the windows. It was a bloody handprint. I sucked in a deep breath and whispered, Oh God. The panel doors at the back of the van were not locked. I pulled them open, took a good look at what was laying inside and slammed them shut again. I felt the urge to vomit. It washed over me in a wave of nausea and I struggled to hold it back. My brain was fuzzy from shock. I could smell the tart, coppery scent of blood in my sinuses. I could almost taste it on my tongue. It was the young family, all of them piled in a heap in the back of the van. Two kids, mom and dad, all of them dead from what appeared to be multiple stab wounds. They were covered in a drying gore and were almost unrecognizable, and I was pretty sure it was them. I briskly whirled around and ran like hell, and there they were, standing behind me in a semicircle to block my escape. I didn't even hear them coming. John pulled out his gun and said, I didn't know that was going to happen, but it did. The gods have designs for us all, brother, but they don't always, uh, let you in on their plans. Not even me, and I'm the prophet. I started to beg for my life, and one of them hit me in the head with the handle of a hunting knife. I fell to my knees and blood started trickling down the side of my face. They gagged me with a strip of my own t-shirt and dragged me into the woods. Two of them holding me up and walking me along as John followed with his gun in my back. They took me back to the stream and tied my arms to a tree with a drawstring from my backpack. John pointed at me and said, This is the lamb right here. He was promised to me in a dream. The forest knows our secrets, brothers and sisters. We can spill his blood and wash away our sins. There was another chorus of all men from his followers, and I felt a thin line of cold fire run down my cheek as John traced my John line with the tip of a knife. He tapped the side of my neck and said, This is the river of life right here. Spill blood in the soil and you'll nourish the roots. Life flows upward into the branches and it returns to the soil when the leaves fall down. Life and death, it's a continuous cycle. Can I get a witness? His followers shouted testify in unison. The two who remained silent were Star Tattoo and the feral looking woman. John pinned my head against the tree with one hand as he cut a shallow line across my neck with the other. I tried to kick him and got a solid punch in. He slowed the blade of the knife and the others grinned up at the sky. Well, give this humble gift in return for your favor, he said, and I realized in horror that he was talking to the tree. These people weren't just pretending to believe in order to justify their sick little games. They were the real deal, a tribe of zealots who were completely lost in their delusions. I went absolutely apeshit with panic and lashed out with my foot again. This time I managed to kick him in the crotch, and John collapsed with a strangled cry of agony. 
He groaned. He shouldn't have done that, and tried to rise to his feet. I tried to kick him in the face as he pushed himself off the ground and I missed. He lurched to his feet and gave me a whopper of a backhand across the face. I saw stars and my knees buckled. John glared at me and barked. You have no right to strike a holy man. Demon, you're an empty vessel. I spat blood on the ground and looked over at Star Tattoo. I croaked. Why is this guy the boss? Why isn't it you? There was a brief silence as my words hung in the air between us. John scoffed at me and said, I was chosen, that's why. I'm the prophet. Shut your mouth, deceiver, and I'll cut your tongue out. I ignored him and repeated my question to Star Tattoo. Why not you? Do the gods only talk to this asshole here? Think about it, man. Why are you following him? Why not lead? John screamed, Be quiet, deceiver! Hissing at me. Before he could plunge it into my chest, Star Tattoo grabbed his wrist and threw him to the ground. The others let out a collective gasp and John looked at him in disbelief. What are you doing, boy? Until you lay your hands on me. The Prophet. Star Tattoo pulled out a long knife from his sheath in his belt and threw it with deadly accuracy. It thunked into John's bare torso with a thickening smack. John looked at the handle that was growing out of his chest in complete bewilderment. He touched it, cried out in pain, and then he pulled out his gun. Star Tattoo kicked it out of his hand and knelt down beside him. You taught me well, brother, but we don't need you anymore, he said. The gods speak to me in my dreams just like you, and they told me that you're finished. John took in a bubbling breath and hissed, Seven is the perfect number. Now you're only six. That's the number of the beast. His former acolyte shook his head and pointed at the feral woman with a streak of white in her hair. He finally said, My seed took root in her womb. We'll be seven again soon enough. If I let you live, we'd be eight. And eight is the number of the resurrection. The world isn't ready for that. Not yet. John tried to speak and coughed up a giant glut of frothy-looking blood. He collapsed onto his back and panted up at the sky his eyes turning glassy with the shock and physical trauma. Star Tattoo kicked dead leaves over his face and turned away in disdain. He said, A false prophet and a weak man. He was wrong. You're not the lamb. It was him all along. He advanced on me with his knife, his face expressionless, and I closed my eyes. I was sure I was about to die, but he cut me free instead. He looked at me in the eye and said, Go with grace, brother. Without another word, he walked away into the woods, and the others followed. I waited until I was sure they were gone, alone with the dead body of a madman lying on the ground in front of me. He tried to speak to me before he died, but I'm not sure what he was trying to say. There was too much blood pouring from his mouth and too little oxygen in his punctured lung for the words to be audible. For a while, it was just me, a dead body and the force that surrounded me in all directions. I know it was just a work of my overstressed and traumatized brain, but I swear the creaking of the tree limbs and the breeze sounded like the whisper of the wind. It sounded like it was sharing dark secrets. I could almost understand their words, but not quite. I think if I had understood their arcane dialect, I probably would have been driven insane, just like John the Baptist, who supposedly saw the face of God 
and withdrew from society to live like an animal in the wilderness. He was given a brief look at the other side and it drove him over the edge. Honestly, I can't blame him. I think just about anyone would lose their mind if they saw what lies beyond our reality. The other members of this cult are still at large. Even if they were captured and prosecuted, I still wouldn't go on another camping trip. Every time I venture anywhere near a wooded area, I remember the whispers in the wind and my heart starts pounding in my chest. I know it wasn't real, but I got a very strong and visceral reaction regardless. My brain might know that the trees weren't alive, or at least not in that sense, but my heart has a different opinion on the matter. Go ahead and camp in the woods with your heart's content, but it's a hard no for me. I'll stay right here at home with the lights on and the doors locked. It's safer that way. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true camping horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcast, please give us a 5-star rating over there as it helps me out a ton there. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us and hit that subscribe button. Turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single day and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium and would still like to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of that, maybe check me out on Twitch. I do horror movie nights, play horror games, and all kinds of stuff over there with my narrator friends and just the community at large. You can find a link to join us in the description. I would very much appreciate seeing you over there. Be sure to join me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.